Hey, good to see you this morning. Uh, we're going to have a good time opening God's Word together. And last Sunday was a great day. We uh, had a fantastic time celebrating a victory last week when we remembered that Jesus, who was crucified, did not stay crucified, but he was raised from the dead. That's a big victory, isn't it? Uh, that, that's not just your average, your team won a game or a championship, but yeah, you know what? One more time, let's just, hey, the victorious king. Woo! Well, today I want us to consider him a little more, consider what he said, and then how to live uh, for this victorious king and his kingdom. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me today to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you, we're going to be on page 900. And we're going to consider the victorious king. It's good to experience victories. It's a great thrill in life. I'm a competitive person, so whenever I get to be a part of a victory, I mean, that just all the more excitement in life when we get to do that. Uh, but to live in the victory of Jesus, that is what makes life great. Certainly, life is difficult, but to know that the risen King is on our side, He is with us, He is for us, and though not all things are great right now, uh, we know that the ultimate victory has already been secured. And so here we are just living this life in his power, but knowing that the ultimate victory is secured. On a lesser note, I got to experience a victory this last week uh, because I went to a Mariner baseball game up uh, to Seattle on Wednesday, and uh, you're going to have to ask that guy over there why he was wearing a wig. It was really uh, quite interesting, but we had a good time. The Mariners won the game. We got to see King Felix pitch. Uh, they call him a king. But within the first few minutes, he's looking like the worst pitcher around. And I'm like, why do they call this guy a king? But anyway, we were in this area called the King's Court rooting for him. We got to see Ichiro, a longtime Mariner, play for the opposing team. And he hit a home run. And it was just a fantastic time. But we were rooting the Mariners on to victory. And it's just fun to be part of a victory. Lots of highlights with that day besides seeing some of these great baseball players. We got a free T-shirt. Uh, we got a bobblehead out of this uh, situation. We then, uh, this was maybe the greatest victory, we made it onto the Jumbotron, all right? Because Jake's wearing this wig, and uh, all of a sudden, they just thought that was no, uh, newsworthy. They just put him on the Jumbotron, and we're like, we made the TV out of all this? I mean, the, you know, just big victory for us, besides the Mariners. <clears throat> but it's fun to have moments like that. But the moments that the disciples of Jesus experienced were far greater than going to a Mariner game. Consider this. They had seen their Savior crucified and like, oh, no. Uh, we thought he was going to take over the world. He's gone. We just saw this. It was gruesome. It was brutal. He's dead. They saw him buried. It was a Sunday morning, like last Sunday morning when we celebrated. They find out, wait a second. He's risen. He talked about this, but we just had no idea that he really meant he'd rise from the dead. But he is. And so on that first Sunday, Jesus appeared to them and they said, Whoa, what a victory. Our Savior is alive. Well, with that kind of a victory, 
the disciples were stoked. They're going crazy. This, this is the kind of victory we all want to experience. Well, what we're going to look today in this passage in John chapter 13, in the, in the words of Jesus, we're going to look at this story because what happened is today is a week after the celebration of the resurrection. But let's talk a minute about the disciples a week after the resurrection of Jesus. He appeared on a Sunday to them. But what happened the week after? Let's talk about this for a minute. A week after the resurrection. Because after Jesus appeared, Jesus had not appeared for seven days. He had not. They they just, is he coming back again? When's he coming back? Is it today? Is it tomorrow? It was a week later and they're locked in a room. They're locked in a room for fear that the same people that said crucify Jesus, they might say crucify his followers as well. And so they're for fear of their own lives. They are locked in a room. Will the Jewish people, will they come after us? A week later, though, Jesus appears to the disciples and he says this. He says, I know you're afraid, but peace, peace be to all of you. And then he says this passage that we talked about last fall. He said, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Remember this? All right. Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace here, and I want to tell you a quick story. The Father sent me. He sent me from heaven. I lived this life. I was crucified. But in the same way, I'm sending you, sending you. And you might be a little fearful for your life right now, but I want to tell you this. you got a great mission in front of you. I'm sending you. And just as I was crucified, life's going to be difficult for you, but I'm sending you, and I'm pouring out my peace to you. So here they are. Imagine they're saying, okay, Jesus, yes, he was sent from the Father. Now he's sending us. That's an amazing thing that he just said. And I imagine in the coming days they start thinking, what else did Jesus say? What else was Jesus saying to us this last week? Because he was crucified, he was gone for a period of time, he's gone again. What were his last words? What were his last words? And so they're reflecting on this. John writes some of this years later saying these were the words of Jesus and I want you to hear them. In fact, this week, I would encourage you to read some of Jesus' last words. If you look at the back of your notes today, it says, Join us in reading about the king and the kingdom, John 13 through 17. In that passage, and we're looking at chapter 13 today, in that passage, these are Jesus' last words. This is the last day. And he says a lot of things about himself and about us and about life. And so I want you to read this week about Jesus' last words. I have been encouraged. I'll just say this on a side note. I've been encouraged to hear some side conversations of some of you saying, you know what, I read this this last week. I read this today. I read this yesterday. And this is what the Word of God said to me. This is the idea. This is what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to read this. I'm supposed to read this. God is supposed to speak to our hearts individually and collectively when we gather together. And he's going to say different things to us. But I would hope this week that you would read John chapter 13 through 17. And today what I want to do is share some of Jesus' last words because they really define who he was and who we are called to be. And so with that, let me give you some context to John chapter 13, what you're going to be looking at with me here in just a moment. It was the night before the crucifixion. This is where we're going to read today. 
They're gathering together. The next day, Jesus is going to be crucified. So what he says here is quite important. What he says here are some of his last words. Jesus, his 12 disciples, they're eating together. They're having a meal. And he knows that the cross is coming up. Specifically, where we're going to read here in a minute, Jesus was speaking to 11 disciples. You say, I thought there were 12. There were 12. Actually, there were hundreds. 12 were his closest. But he's speaking to his 11, where we're going to read this today, because one of them, named Judas Iscariot, had already departed. Jesus said, Judas, I know what you're about to do. Go do it quickly. Judas leaves the room because he's going to turn Jesus in later that night. And so Jesus has a moment with 11 guys, 11 guys that he spent the last three years with, guys who have seen what he's done and heard his teaching and heard the way he's lived, and he's, he's got a message for them. And it's certainly specific to those 11, but this message is specific to Christ followers. If that's you today and you say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus and I've given my life to Jesus, this is for you And if you're exploring Jesus, we're glad that you're here. I would hope that you'd get to the point where you'd say, I need this Jesus, that you would choose to be a follower of him. He will change your life as he did these people. But let's read this together. Follow along. John chapter 13. I want to start at verse 33. John chapter 13, verse 33. He's sitting there with 11 of his closest followers. And he says, little children... Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then it says this in verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Simon Peter, he's the one who out of the group is always the first to speak. He's one of these, uh, I'll think later, but I'm going to talk first. And he says, after Jesus says this, Lord, where are you going? Now Jesus had just said, I'm going to give you a new command. Here it is. Peter's caught up on this idea that you're going somewhere. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Peter, I know you're so excited, and you're saying you would die for me, but here's what's going to happen. Before the rooster crows in the morning, between now and in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. But that's not even my point, Peter, where I'm going. I have a new command, and, oh, Peter, Peter. Anyway, let's look at this for a minute. What we see in here is that the king gives a new commandment, and I want to look at this today. King gives a new commandment. To these guys. And when the king speaks, the subjects of his kingdom should listen. When the king is speaking to us today, our ears should perk up and say, What are you saying, King Jesus? Verse 34 A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Write this down if you would. This new commandment that the king gives, he says, Love 
one another. To the 11, he says, you are to love one another. Now, some of you are saying, that doesn't seem real new. I mean, Jesus is always about love, right? God is always about love. Why is this such a new commandment? It's slightly new for a couple reasons. One, the, the Jewish people, they would recite daily a passage found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me show it to you right here. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Jewish people would have known this. This is called the Shema. Shema is the word for hear or to listen because this verse, this passage starts with listen up, hear. So every morning they would say, listen, our God, Yahweh, our God, he is the true God. He is one. I'm called to love him with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. I'm going to do this today. And at the end of the day, the Jewish uh, people would say, This is what I'm called to do, to love God with all my heart and with all my soul, with all my mind, to love him completely. This is the command to love God. And so the listeners here that Jesus is speaking to, they would have said this every day, love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul. The idea here is to commit yourself to this God, to commit yourself to the Creator, To commit yourself to the one who holds everything together. Not just have a passionate feeling like, oh, he's so cute. But just, you know what, I'm committed to you. You are God. I am not. So I was walking over here this morning. I saw the sun coming up. And I saw it going through, the beams going through a tree. And there was a shadow on our building. And, And when I saw that, my thought was, here I am walking on this little green and blue planet that is spinning around, and it's cruising through the universe. And there's this sun 93 million miles away, and it's being held up there by this God. And my commitment is to be committed to him. I'm not God. He is. Oh, God, I I love you. I'm committed to you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my might, everything I have, because you're God, I'm not. And just, wow. I'm on this planet, and it's just cruising through the universe, and it's rotating as it's doing this, and you're holding the sun in this place, and man, okay, you're God, I'm not. And the command has always been, love God, commit your life to him. And so Jesus would speak of this, give your life in full devotion to God. Jesus was often asked, what is the greatest commandment? Because actually, in the Old Testament, there are 613 commands. That's a lot of them. Which one's the greatest? Jesus said, actually, the greatest is this. And he said this in Matthew chapter 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the greatest. Love him. Commit your life to him. Jesus then goes on to say, this is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love those around you. Okay, who's my neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. You're supposed to commit your life to God, commit your life to all mankind, serve them, care for them, offer your life to them. Now, on this last night, Jesus says, I've got a new commandment for you, though. I've got a new one for you. 
Let's look at this again. Love God, love people. This is the great command. But this one, to love one another, that's new. What he's saying here is, I want you to love the family. You 11, you are family. Three years ago, you didn't know each other. Three years ago, some of you are brothers, and you'll always be brothers. But you are to love each other, your family. You've heard commit yourself to Almighty God. You've heard commit yourself to others. But I want you to know this. You are to commit yourself to each other. Just look around for a minute, would you? I mean, okay, we could look up and say, okay, I'll commit myself to that God, and I'll commit myself to the neighbors out there. But just look around. I'm called to commit myself to people in this room, to those who are in my family. Jesus is speaking to these 11 It says, love each other, care for each other. He said this, I'm going to be leaving soon. You need to care for each other. The problem was, even in the last three years, they had fought at times, all right? I grew up with a younger brother. We fought a lot, all right? I mean, we would duke it out at home in the backseat of the car when mom and dad are driving. We did all of that. As we've matured a bit, there's actually care for one another, There's love. And Jesus is saying, you're family. Love the family. Advancement of the kingdom is partly going to be by you guys being united. If you're fighting with each other, this kingdom really is going to suffer. Love the family. Love each other. Certainly love God. Certainly love those out in the neighborhood, at the workplace, at your school. But love each other. Now, certainly this commandment goes farther than just love each other. I mean, this really is love all, right? We, we talk about this kind of language in November with our Advent conspiracy of, yes, commit ourselves to God and commit ourselves to all. Even though family members that we don't get along with here, sometimes it's easier to love strangers, isn't it? Because you just don't have to live with them. Sometimes it's easier for me to love you because I just see you briefly on Sunday mornings. The ones that are really tough to love, sometimes my family, and they would say, oh, amen to that. Or it's tough to love me. they got to live with me. Jesus says to you, 11, listen, you are to love one another. You are to love one another. Yes, love fellow followers of Jesus and love your enemies and love hurting people around you, and love all. Be committed to each other. Now, the men who heard this, this became a theme in their lives. They were like, wait a second, Jesus commanded this right before he left to love each other. Love is a theme of our lives. Let me show you what some of these writers said. John was there when he heard this message from Jesus. John wrote this. In a letter, 1 John chapter 4, he says to a a group of believers, he says this, let us love one another. Where do you think he got that idea? (laughs) From Jesus. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God himself is love. John said, you know what, I've just embraced this truth, this message that Jesus gave me, that It's part of my life. It's a theme of my writings. Peter wrote about this too. Let's look at this passage. First Peter, he says this, Above all else, or above all, keep 
loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Here's the thing is we're close with one another. And as you are close with each other in your homes, you hurt each other. All right. You hurt each other big time. I hurt my family. They hurt me. The ones we're closest to, we hurt the most. Love is going to cover a multitude of those sins. And if you don't have a love for your closest family, man, your family doesn't stand a chance. This kingdom is going to suffer. James, one of the followers of Jesus, he wrote this, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin. Listen, when it comes down to this, you are going to have to pour out love to one another. And so the followers of Jesus, they hear this message, then they say, this has got to be a theme of the message I share. Now, I think the key in this is what Jesus says next. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Look at this, if you would. In your Bible there. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And then he says this, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you. If you would for a second, would you just, in your notes, would you write down some answers to this? How had Jesus loved these 11 men before going to the cross? He says, a new command I give that you're going to love each other as I have loved you. Just take a minute. Just write down a couple key words. How did, if you can know some of these stories, how did Jesus show love to these 11 guys before going to the cross? He'd been with them for three years. I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to answer some of these. And I thought, you know what? He chose them. That was love. Here was one guy, Mac, Matthew. He, he had a really bad reputation. He was stealing money from people. And Jesus said, I actually want you. I want you. You're a messed up person, but I want you. I thought, that's love. The God would say to messed up people, I want you. And he'd see some fishermen like, hey, I see you doing the family business and you're you know, doing all right with that, but I'm calling you into something greater. So Jesus shows his love by choosing them, including them. He taught them, sat down, and he had to teach them over and over and over again. Some of them were real thick-headed. He corrected them. He spent time with them. He served them. He washes their feet, which is grosser than our situation. We got socks and we usually shower at least once a week, right? All right. I mean, they're wearing sandals and they're not always getting clean running water. And, and he, he washes their feet. And so he says, love one another as I have loved you. They're like, oh, okay. I can think of ways that he has loved us even before going to the cross. If you would consider the ways that Jesus loved other people, not just these 11, but just consider the way Jesus loved other people over the past three years, not counting the cross, other ways he loved them. I started thinking, okay, he went and saw people with leprosy this infectious skin disease, and he spent time with them and talked with them and would touch them. Wow. And he helped in bringing about their healing. 
and he listened to people, slowed down his life to listen. He ate with people. He spoke with grace. And so when he says, you are to love one another as I have loved you, they're starting to think, oh, man, he has been showing a lot of love these past three years. Okay, I'm starting to get ideas of way I can love as I've loved you. Ultimately, this is from the heart. It involves action. And then consider the cross, if you would. (laughs) This is ultimate love. He says, I'm going to go to the cross for you. Now, we get to look back. When he said this command, he hadn't yet been crucified. But we get to look back. You are to love one another just as I have loved you. Oh, you're willing to die? And do you remember one of the things he says on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them. I mean, I, I could be really offended that they shouted, crucify me earlier this morning, but Father, forgive them. He's offering forgiveness. He's offering his life. He says, I'm going to actually give you my spirit so that you'll have my life and my power in you. As I have loved you, Jesus says. Many ways to love. I, I was writing down, I've read some books on this too, and we can love with words. Some of us will even say today, hey, I love you. It's good to see you. But we're called to do more than just love with words, right? Actions. There's a passage in 1 John that says, let's not just love with word or talk, but in deed and in action. Let's back it up. Not just say, hey, I love you, but to show that. Sometimes that involves giving gifts. Sometimes that involves touch. It's funny, after church services, I usually go out there and I'm trying to shake some hands. Some of you do not let me shake your hand. You just go in for the full hug, all right? And frankly, most of them are guys. And it's just like, you know what? I love you, man. And I'm like, I love you too, and I'm not afraid to show that. Touch is a part of love. Quality time. My wife says that that's what she wants. She just wants my undivided attention. He wants me to sit with her, talk with her, listen to her. And so Jesus gives this command, you are to love one another just as I have loved you. Now again, you're saying, I'm not sure how he loves. Read more about the life of Jesus. You'll see how he loves. But this idea of love is this is going to be the mark of the kingdom. Here's the victorious king with his kingdom. This is the mark of the kingdom. And Jesus says it's love. That's the mark of our kingdom. It's love that we take care of family. We take care of all. We take care of those who love us. We take care of those who hurt us. That's the mark of the kingdom. As I was thinking about that this week and just uh, letting that sink in, the mark of the kingdom being love, I remember a story, and it's almost 30 years old now, but I was on a baseball team, and, and we got to travel to Europe for six weeks to play against some teams over there and, and to talk about Jesus. And so we have these Christian guys that we go over to uh, Europe, and we did not know each other before this trip started, and so we got together in Colorado. We met for a few days, and then we went, and and, uh, and one of the guys on our team was this big guy from Texas named Greg. I mean, just monster big. And Greg could hit the ball like nobody's business. 
but he could not throw the ball for a hill of beans. He just could not. Greg, I mean, he would practice getting next to a wall and just, and he could not throw. Now, let him hit. He could hit like crazy. Big guy, just could not throw. The coach said, let's just put him at first base. First base, for the most part, all you got to do is catch the ball, and then when you come up to bat, hit home runs, and he was great. For six weeks, Greg took grief from us because we would say, come on, man. How come you can't throw a ball? I mean, this is an easy thing to do. You're 20 years old. You just, that, could not do that. So we would practice before games. I don't know if I got the short straw or what, but I ended up playing catch with Greg more times than not before the game. And so a few of us that are lining up this way, a few here, and we're playing catch. Greg kept throwing it over here, hitting this guy, over here, hitting this guy. I'm like, you can throw it to me, but he'd throw it over my head. He'd bounce it to me. And it was just so trying for me, trying to play catch with this guy. For six weeks, we let the guy have it. We just said, dude, you, I mean, we, we just said the worst things to him about his lack of throwing ability. We just teased him to no end. To the point, though, after six weeks one time, he had his limit. We had been bugging him far too long, and after six weeks of us telling him that he couldn't throw, and he knew this, he was so frustrated, mad at us, he says this, he says, you guys... And when a big Texan says this, you kind of quake in your shoes. You guys are lucky. I'm commanded to love you. I'm like, okay. One, he's scared. But two, I'm grateful that he is commanded to love me. And he understands this is the mark of a Jesus follower, to love family. Even when family bugs him to no end. Oh, we gave him a hard time. I wish we wouldn't have. Made for a great sermon illustration 27 years later. But but his comment so long ago still sticks in my heart. You're lucky I'm commanded to love you. Okay? I'm, I'm grateful and lucky that some of you are commanded to love me, all right? Jesus says, listen, you are to love one another. Love each other as family. As I have loved you. I've forgiven you. This man, after he gets, Greg, after he gets this off his chest, he's like, I'm going to let this go. And, but he puts a little fear of God in us too. But the defining value of Jesus' kingdom is love because God himself is love. And so he says to his disciples, love one another, love family. Stop beating each other up. Stop taking each other for granted. Stop finding out each other's faults about you can't throw or this and picking on it to no end. Love each other as family, as I have loved you. I thought about that, and I thought, man, we butcher this, don't we? Man, we, we butcher this. We just, the church butchers this. We just kind of pick on each other. I, I'm glad that some of my best friends are pastors. I, I pray for them regularly. We could be competitors. We could see each other as that. But it's like, no, wait a second. We're family. We're called to love each other as Jesus has loved us. You are called to love your brothers and sisters in this church and in our community as Jesus has loved you. But if, but if we went down the street and said, let me just ask you, uh, community, 
one word, if you would, describe a Christian. 100 people survey, top seven answers on the board. What describes a Christian? I almost sent our team out this week to videotape and do this, but we ended up going to a Mariner game. Anyway, and ask the community, what comes to mind? One word when you hear the word Christian. Uh, okay, we didn't ask them, but I think they would say things like judgmental. What, Matthew? That's, okay, absolutely right. Judgmental. Where, where's love on that list? What about self-righteous? Where's love in this? Unfriendly? Mm. Jesus said, listen, you 11, love one another. It's a new command. Yeah, you're going to be committed to God, and you're committed to out there, but be committed to one another. Love one another. Start right here. As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Go to verse 35. Jesus says, by this, this love that you have for one another, as I have loved you, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. This will be the mark of the kingdom. You want to make a difference in our community? Show love. And talk more than love. Show love. Frankly, start with love and talk good about other churches. Talk good about other Christians. But sometimes we treat them like the little brother that we just love to poke. And, and we become judgmental and self-righteous and unfriendly. And they're like, if that's how they treat each other, no thanks. How do you respond to this message when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you? What's the response? Notice Peter's response in verse 36. <laughs> Peter's response is kind of weird. Peter, he just says this, uh, Lord, where are you going? Wait a second. I just gave you a new command. I just told you about my love. You're missing the point. You and I can miss the point. We can sit here and read a bunch of Jesus. We can sit here and hear some of this and miss the point. How do we respond? Peter, instead of processing this, just speaks and says, you said you're going somewhere and we can't go? I want to go. I'd lay down for my life for you. He's like, oh, I just gave you a new commandment <laughs> to love one another. And to consider my love for you. And you need to treat each other the same way. You see, when we hear a message, I think, even like this. Okay, love one another. Sometimes you and I, I'm not sure what you're thinking. What your response might be. I've said in the pew many of times where I've said, okay, I know what my response is. Okay, this week I have to do, and I start making a to-do list. Right there, I just, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this. All right, I'm going to try to love so-and-so this week. I'm going to try to do this. And it's all about what I'm going to try to do. And I would just say no. I don't think that's the right response either. The right response is not to really miss the point like Peter did. Or even to think what you are supposed to do. But let's just start here. Consider Jesus. Consider how he loved you. He said this, new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. I think that's where it starts. Where we just spend time considering, wait a second, I need to write down how Jesus loves me. How Jesus has loved me. 
I think we just need to sing this song to our hearts this week. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me, okay, I need to get in the Bible. How does God love me? Consider the ways that Jesus loves you. Read this week. Digest these words that we're talking about here today. Let these truths transform your thinking. It's not just, okay, this week i got to go do this, i got to do this. No, it's, it's not about what you've got to do. Just start by considering the love that God has for you. How much he has loved you. How much he has forgiven you. What he has done for you out of love. And I know you might start thinking, but he hasn't done this and this. Listen, do you have the forgiveness of sins? Start there. If you do, start with that, how much he has loved you to do that. As I'm thinking through this, my prayer is not that you and I would go out there and start telling everybody that we love them or that you just make a promise that every day this week you tell your family you love them. I mean, that would be a good thing. My prayer really is this, that you would understand this week how much God loves you, how much Jesus loves you, that you would Soak in that, that you would rest in that. My, my prayer is that the love of Jesus would cause you to love and worship him. This is, this is my hope for us, that the love of Jesus, may you focus on that, and that that would cause you to love him and worship him. He said, a new command I give... And you're about ready to go do it, but consider as I have loved you. So my prayer is that we would see this love of Jesus and it would cause us to go, oh man, God, you, you, you love me. You accept me. You've forgiven me. You've restored me. You've included me. That has to be the starting point. That has to be the starting point. Before you make a list of all the things you have to, that has to be the starting point, just to consider the love that God has for you. Frankly, you might be here today and you say, I just haven't heard much about this. Uh, keep exploring. I want you to know there is a God who loves you and cares for you. This is what we celebrated in the last week, that he loved us so much, he sent his son to die for you, to pay for your sins, so that you'd acknowledge, you know what, I've got a sin problem, and Jesus is the remedy. And that if you trust in him, that you'd have faith in him, that you'd be forgiven. Even today you can say, Jesus, I need you. And he says, because I love you, let me change you. You see, look to Jesus. Look to the Father for love. That's our starting point. And when that happens... When we spend time just soaking in this idea, you know what? God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. He's shown me this way. How has he loved me? When we start considering that, all of a sudden, as we connect with God, his life starts running through us. It starts producing joy. You don't have to create joy. You just have to revel in this good news that God has done much for you. And all of a sudden it starts producing joy. It starts producing peace. It starts to produce kindness and goodness and control and love for each other and for your neighbors. As you start saying, oh God, you've done this for me. 
Oh, that we would grasp how much he loves us. It says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. As John writes this years later, he's saying, okay, Jesus certainly loved me for those three years, but then he went to the cross, and then he came back and talked, and he sent his spirit, and he's been with me through persecutions and difficulties. He, he loves me, and he loves you. My prayer is that you would know that. And as we consider this, I, I would hope you understand that you've been secured a great victory. I'd hope that you'd leave here today going, yeah, I've won. I hit the jackpot. Not only did my team win a game or a championship, but listen, I'm on the winning side because of God's mercy and grace in my life. Sins forgiven. I'm included into the family of the king. That's victory right there. Woo. And that you would revel in this and worship him. And because of this then, as we would do this, as you would connect to God, here's what's going to happen. Your connected life to Jesus, what it's going to do is it will produce his desired and abundant life in you. It's going to happen. Your connection to Jesus, you spending time understanding what he has done for you, that is going to produce his desired life in you. It's going to produce his abundant life in you. Some of you are so tired, you're saying, man, I'm trying to be joyful and I can't. Stop trying to produce it. Revel in the fact that he has loved you. Consider the fact that he has loved you. Consider the, the fact that he is the victorious one. He's included you. And you will still be tired, and you'll still be worn out, and you'll still face difficulties in life. But all of a sudden, you'll say, man, he's producing joy in me. He's producing peace in me. He's producing kindness in me. He's producing the love that he actually commanded me to show. It's really not even my job to love. It's just I connect with him, and he produces it in me. I want you to know today that you're, because of Jesus, you're on the victor's side. You've won, all right? Some of you truly understand it. My prayer is that we would all understand it a little more. That we'd leave here today, and as we face the difficulties of life, we'd say, you know what? I'm supposed to be part of God's movement to show love to others. The ones that drive me crazy, you're lucky I'm commanded to love you. Yeah, that's going to happen. But it's going to happen as I consider, oh, that he has loved me first. That he has loved me much. John said we love because, well, he first loved us. And his life is going to be produced in you as you connect with him. I'm going to ask that you reflect with me on this before we leave today. Just bow your heads. If you're a writer, maybe you write something down here. What did you hear from God today? Maybe there are people that you need to confess to because you have been unloving. Maybe you need to confess to God of your lack of love or your lack of considering what he's done for you. 
But let's just focus on what he has done for us, the victory that we have in Jesus. As I have loved you. Whew. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those words that Jesus spoke, as I have loved you. It certainly raises the bar on the extent that I'm called to love, but it reminds me of what you first did. You loved that you demonstrated your love for us in this. While we were sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. And God, we just mess this up. We butcher this to the point that the world thinks we're crazy. We're messed up. We need your help. So would you help us to marvel at your great love for us? Would you help us to marvel in the victory that we have in you? And as we do that, then would you just open our eyes and open our hearts to the people around us, to the people in this room, to the people in our homes, to the people that annoy us, And I thank you that this is not just a command like you got to do it on your own. As I have loved you, you have shown us the way, Jesus, and now you empower us. We're not even loving with our own love. It's coming from you. And so I ask for my brothers and sisters that you help us to love you and others and one another with your love. God, I, I pray for those here today who have not experienced that love, that you would help them to see that there is a love greater than any man or woman could give them. There is a love from you, their creator, that changes us, that forgives us of our sin, that you would help them simply say today, Jesus, I need your love. I need your life. And so I thank you that you love us. I thank you for the victory that you have secured. Help us to live in that, to keep our eyes focused on you. And so because of that, because of your love, I can say we love you. Help us to love you all the more. Help us to love others by your grace, with your power. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.